The message you're listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2018 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. I'm excited to be here. My name is Brandon Woodard. Uh, I am a pastor, a church planner in Cincinnati, um, pastoring a church called Reconcile Community Church, a multi-ethnic disciple-making gospel-centered church uh, in an amazing neighborhood in Cincinnati called Pleasant Ridge. It's fun. Planting the church is crazy. Uh, if you are ever in the Cincinnati area, I would love for you to come check us out. Um, you can hear more about that at the end of it. Um, but again, I'm excited about it. Man, people, uh, Tony Wells, uh, who is the ethnic uh, minority director for CO in this specific area, asked me to come out, and I just said, all right, you know, what you want me to talk on? He was like, uh, I need you to do something, kind of push the ball forward in this ethnic minority stuff. Okay. <laughs> you can take this multiple different ways, um, but uh, I'm here. And so y'all pray for me as I, as I go through and try to tackle something. My hope and my goal is that all of us in this room, not just minorities, but all of us in this room would leave encouraged. Uh, some of us may, may leave and say, you know what, I didn't even know half of this stuff. But at the end of it all, man, I'm hoping and praying that God is glorified and you leave equipped to go back to your uh, college campuses or wherever you are, uh, being able to engage with the whole narrative. Because there's a part of Christianity that I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we don't know about. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into those things. But, but again, I'm, I'm, I'll tell all the minority students, man, I'm, I'm your advocate. There are tables that you haven't been able to see um, as it relates to CO uh, that, by God's grace, they allow me there. And so a lot of the things that you see that's happening today is because I've heard some of you say, man, we, we want to see more of this or see some of that. So I just talk to Tony and say, hey, man, look, this is what people are thinking. And man, this will be great if you did this or have you considered this? And so to see, man, just the diversity within speakers and song selections, even to have a breakout session like that, um, like today, um, is encouraging. And so, um, again, I'm, I'm your advocate, man. I, I love you guys. I love all of you. I just want to make sure that, uh, that you all are equipped uh, for what it is that, that God has for you. So <clears throat> before we jump into this, there are going to be a lot of slides, but that's okay. I got all of y'all emails. And so uh, you'll get an email with a, re a resource list because that's the first thing everybody asks me. So what are some resources that, man, I can read or that I can give away? I got about three and a half pages of resources that, I, that I'm going to give you. I'll show you it at the end. Uh, but again, my goal is to get all of that. And this is a little bitty screen, y'all. <laughs> so, some of y'all going to have to try y'all best to squint. If you like me and you legally blind like me, um, you know, try your best. But again, I'll make sure that you get some of this stuff. Uh, because I do believe that um, in this attempt to cover man, a whole bunch of stuff, uh, that there's some things that you may want to go back over and look at. So a little bit about me. Um, as you can tell, uh, my family's kind of busy. Um, I'm married to the lovely Kristen Woodard. Go ahead and stand up. The Lord showed out when he made her. And some of them would say she's fine as frog hair, and y'all get that on y'all way home. Um, but uh, 
we have four kids, all under five. And so, yeah, start doing the math in your head. Um, so Brooklyn, uh, on the end, is the oldest. So she's four going on 27. Uh, she runs our house. Uh, Brandon, the second, the one that's right under my arm, he's three. So you got four, three. Braxton, uh, who's on the other side of my wife, is two. And then Braylon is here with us, and she's four months old. And so, uh, aw, we have a deal. If you want, you know, to, to babysit, we'll throw in Brandon for free. <laughs> We're going to have two. Uh, but again, no, so that's my family. Uh, and again, Reconcile Community Church, just uh, God's been incredibly kind for us to be able to see this. It's a little bit of heaven on earth just to see the diversity in the room, to see people who are, man, just enamored by God. They're trying to build deep, authentic relationships with one another, and they're empowered to reach the world. That's what we want to do. And so it's an amazing thing. So again, if you're in Cincinnati, we would love, 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 love to have you. I want to pray, and then we're going to jump in this, all right? So let's go before the Lord and pray. Father, thank you. We thank you for this opportunity uh, to come in here today to hear a perspective that many of us were living right now. And for some of us, we desperately want to see what it's like uh, to be a minority who, who loves Jesus. And so, Father, wherever we are on that spectrum, Lord, ultimately, I pray that uh, this wouldn't be a guilt trip, uh, Lord, that we wouldn't put even our ethnicity over our identity in you. Uh, but Lord, we also want to know that we can celebrate uh, the differences. We can celebrate uh, what the Lord has done and how he has uniquely made each and every one of us. And so, Father, I ask and I pray during this time that we have left uh, to share, Lord, I pray that the information will be uh, nourishing, that it would be vital, that it would encourage and equip and build up uh, your church. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all who agree, say amen. Amen. Many of you have probably heard of the name George Whitfield. If you have not, uh, George Whitfield is one of those uh, one of those heroes of Christian history. Many people would say it was George Whitfield who had been one of the people who started the First Great Awakening, that, that revival that took place. Well, there's a story in Brian Loritz's book called Insider Outsider where he shares of a story. George Whitfield came and he preached uh, during one of these revivals. And while he's preaching, it just so happened that there was a slave that was out in the field. He's hearing George Whitfield preach and he is enamored by what he's hearing. So much so that that evening when he's back in his slave quarters, uh, he begins to try to emulate and imitate George Whitfield. What he doesn't understand and what he doesn't know is that on the other side of the door is his slave master. Slave master is listening to this and he begins to laugh because he thinks it's funny. George Whitfield had this twang in his voice. Uh, he just had these demeanors and these cadences that he would use as he preached. And it was this slave trying to imitate George Whitfield so much so that he said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to get some of my friends and, and we're going to have a, a good time watching this slave imitate the great George Whitfield. And as the story goes, uh, this slave master gets his friends, they pour some whiskey out, and they're watching this slave as he's performing for them. He, he's trying his best to be George Whitfield. They're laughing at him. And then all of a sudden, something happens. As he's talking, the gospel is being preached. And as the gospel is being preached, something happens. All of us have had this encounter with the gospel where you have to respond. And it was in that moment, these slave masters and slave owners 
heard the gospel, responded in faith, and became a Christian. Now it's interesting that I share this story because the same conclusion that Pastor Brian Loritz came to, I feel myself and many others in a minority culture feel it the same way. That sometimes we feel like that slave. That sometimes we're, we're called to perform. That man, we, we, we get saved uh, and it's great, but then there's this feeling like, man, I gotta perform for people to like me. Or I have to put on this facade in order for me to grow. And again, this isn't to guilt or shame anyone, but this is a reality. One of the dilemmas that many of our brothers and sisters who are minorities, they feel like they're caught in this dilemma. And, and, and here it is. Sometimes they feel like in order for them to grow spiritually, they got to check their ethnicity at the door. Because the only thing that they're told, the only thing that they see, the only thing that they read, the only people that they're pointed to or old white theologians. There's nothing wrong with it. I think there's a lot of great work that has taken place. And again, our wonderful brothers and sisters have done amazing work for Christianity. But there's this feeling that, man, I'm only listening to John Piper and Tim Keller. It seems like the further I want to go in my walk with Christ, the wider it gets. I know it's tight, but it's right. It, it feels like that. This is the dilemma that those in the minority culture face. And this is a reality that all of us need to understand. Because some of us are on college campuses, and we've shared our faith. We've built those relationships with people, right? And you just know that, man, that person that you're sharing your faith with, man, they're going to give their life to the Lord, and then they hit you with the, man, I don't know. Because Deep down in the framework, when they look at Christianity, it's tied to an aspect of ethnicity. And because the only thing that they see is a westernized, white kind of perspective, they'll think to themselves, I would have to give up something that's crucial to me to be a part of this religion. And so we have to understand this. This is a reality. If you're on a college campus and you're, uh, and you're white and you're trying to share your faith with someone that's a minority and they push back or they begin to moonwalk from you, this could be why. This could be the reason. Which leaves us in a, a precarious situation because now we have to ask ourselves, then how in the world am I supposed to go about this loving the people that God has put in my sphere and even for the minority? Man, man, how can I find encouragement when it seems like, man, this narrative, this Christianity is, is slanted in one way? I love that D.A. Uh, kind of took my thunder when he said, man, you know, there's no monopoly on Christianity. That there's no one race or one ethnicity that kind of has a stronghold on this where they kind of dictate everything. And so here's the, here's the takeaway. Here's the thing that we, we want to get. God wants all of mankind. He, he wants all of mankind represented in the kingdom, not just in eternity. So you read Revelation 5, and we're going to see that. You're going to see Revelation 7, where in heaven you see it, this reality, like he said, that you see all tribes, tongues, and nations, and all of this great stuff. It's not just for eternity. But that man, he wants to see 
all of the ethnicities in the kingdom of God working now. Because in that, we can see the manifold display of God's, of his kingdom, his glory, and his power. You can see that. When, when there's a diverse body of individuals who are empowered to take their ethnicity and love Jesus and, and love that they are the skin that they are, in the way they're wired, it does something for the kingdom of God. Could it be that the reason why we're in the situations that we are in as a society is God giving us a, a softball to say, church, get it right. Because if this was a safe place for everyone to feel empowered and loved, to have their voice heard, man, what kind of powerful testimony would that be, especially in where we are today, where it's so divided? But if the church was a safe place where everyone felt empowered, where we knew the whole story, that, man, it wasn't just Europeans that did a lot in Christianity. But, man, what I'm about to show you is that, man, it did a lot of work in Africa and in the Middle East and in Turkey before it ever even reached Rome. What could that have done for those believers today? What would that show? And so I want to do three things for you. Three things that I'm going to try to attempt. And y'all pray for me because I'm a preacher. And so I got some stuff that, you know, if it go away, I can, I can, I can go left. Um, but we're going to try our very best. So I'm going to go first to the scriptures. And then I'm going to take us to school a little bit. We're going to go through some church history. And then at the end, I want to kind of land us where we are today. And then leave us with the implications of this. All right? And so let's go to the scriptures first. We see this in Genesis chapter 1. We'll start in the very first part of your Bible. In Genesis, that Hebrew word meaning in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, you see in the beginning that we were all created valuable. All of us. And it says this. You've probably heard it a ton, a ton of times. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And it's interesting. One of the things that happens uh, in this passage is this, this $3 word called the Imago Dei. Everybody just say Imago Day. Y'all speak good Latin. Imago Day. Uh, literally, that is the image of God. Or to say it another way, it's the icon of God. So it's a picture. Just like this, this dime here. There, there's, an, there's a picture on here. I don't know what president this is. Maybe y'all know who it is. is. You can have this dime. That's my gift to you. Bless the Lord. Let him let multiply it. <laughs> but there's an, there's an icon on this. this. This president isn't right here with us, but he is right here with us. Why? Because his icon is on here. His image is on here. The beautiful thing about Genesis chapter 1, from the beginning, it says that God created us in his image. The Imago Dei simply says that, man, the image of God is on you. But here's the deal. Many of us read this passage and we think individualistic. 
Because that's what Western Christianity tells you, that it's your relationship with the Lord. When if you look in the Hebrew, this is plural. Let us make man in, in, in our image. That's, that's plural. So if God is, is three persons in one, the blessed trinity, and he's saying we're going to make man, plural, in our image, I got a sneaky suspicion when he's doing this. He has all of the different ethnicities in mind. And could it be that the way that we see the true Imago Day is when there's a manifold, beautiful mosaic picture of all the ethnicities represented. That it's in this beautiful picture of all of creation and all of humanity created, that, that, that you black, you white, you Asian, you other, whatever it is, when we're all coming together, we get a glimpse of what God image truly is. Because what we don't see in this passage is that he says, uh, let us make man uh, in the image of a white guy or a black guy or an Asian guy. Let us make man. Which is beautiful. Because even in the beginning, God had us in mind. All of us. Some people have said <clears throat> And I've heard it, especially in the African-American and urban context. They'll say, man, no, you know, ethnicity and all of these things didn't happen. Man, this is a, a result of the curse because of what happened in Babel. Anybody ever heard of that story in Genesis where uh, these individuals came together to build a tower to reach heaven? And it says kind of ironically that as they're building this tower because they really believe that uh, they could reach heaven, that God looks down and says, let me go down to them. And because he goes down, it says that he then scatters, he, 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 he messes up the languages. And some people would say, no, ethnicity and diversity and all of these things are a direct result because of this. But according to Genesis chapter 10 and 11, it's beautiful. Before you get the Tower of Babel, you get this amazing thing called the Table of the Nations. Where it's a whole bunch of names and stuff and figures that you can't pronounce and I can't either. And I done been to seminary. I still can't pronounce the names of it. <laughs> but the goal was to show us that even in the beginning, diversity was on God's mind. That this wasn't a, a post-fall uh, curse. That because of, of Noah's sin, that all of a sudden those who are uh, derived, uh, uh, derived from the, uh, the, the lineage of Ham, that there's some kind of curse. That is not true. But slaves were told that, though. But Genesis chapter 10 and 11 tells us from the beginning, from the table of nations, all people, God had us on the mind. But not only that, Eternity confirms our ethnicities will be valued. I, I love what EA said, that <laughs> Revelation is, is God's Instagram account. I, I, man, I'm, that's stolen. I'm using that tomorrow <laughs> when I have to preach. I'm using it tomorrow. I'm going to say I got it in a dream or something like that. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> Read Ecclesiastes. Um, but, but, but here's the cool thing. It's, right, it's true. When you read the book of Revelation, it is a scary book. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some things in Revelation that scare the crap out of me. Like, I just don't get 
dragons and all of this. Jesus got a tattoo on his thigh, white linen, hair, sword out the mouth. There's some imagery there that just is crazy. But one of the beautiful pictures in Revelation is what I would like to call coming attractions. You know, when you go to the movies, right? And, you know, most of us get there late, so we miss all of the, the coming attractions. But for us who, who love to get there on time or a little bit early, uh, there's about 10 to 15 minutes where they're sharing trailers of new movies to come. And it gives you excitement because, I, I don't know about you, um, I, I, I've been longing for the next Infinity War saga. I just have been so depressed. <laughs> I'm, I've read the comics, but I've been so depressed. And so when the trailer came out to tell us there's hope, sort of, <laughs> it made me feel good. Man, something's on the horizon. Revelation is that book that as we sit in the already but not yet, or say it another way, the messy middle, we can read the book of Revelation to know that it gets better in the end. Revelation is that book that gives us um, shoe leather to the verse that says that we're more than conquerors to them who are in Christ Jesus, because you know the end of the story. It's just like goosebump books. Remember those back in the day when you used to be able to, to, to pick which way you wanted to go? Some of us went to the back of the book so that you knew which path to take. That's the book of Revelation. This is what it looks like in the end. We win. But here's what it says. Two passages for you. It says this. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all of the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Beautiful imagery. Listen to what it says. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Hear it now. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom, a priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. That's Revelation 5. Which is beautiful. Because John isn't colorblind. He's sitting on Patmos and he gets this, he gets this amazing bird's eye view and man, picture of coming attractions in heaven. Can you imagine? Learn to read your Bible in color. It says that some church traditions say that John was, man, this man was indestructible. It says that he was put in a vat of oil and tried to be burned alive, but they, it didn't, wasn't successful. So they sent him to Patmos and said, man, he'll die there. So sitting probably in a cave in Patmos, an angel comes and allows him to see heaven. And this is what he sees. He doesn't mince words here. This is not added late into the scriptures for diversity's sake. This is what he sees. 
it doesn't say that he sees like like DA said, man, just this, just this blah, just one group of people. They look all the same. No, he's every tribe, every nation, every tongue represented, and they're together worshiping God. I tell people all the time, man, if, if you don't like diversity here on earth, you're going to hate heaven. Because <laughs> it ain't an all-black section, an all-white section, an all-Asian section. It ain't going to work like that. We're going to all be together. There's going to be a guy with a Hammond B3 organ that's going to be playing right next to a guy with flip-flops and an acoustic guitar with skinny jeans. <laughs> Cat on a ukulele. We're going to all be in there worshiping God together forever and ever. If you don't like it down here, you're going to hate heaven. But not only in Revelation 5 do you see it, but Revelation 7. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Which is beautiful because it's kind of the imagery of the triumphant entry, but we do that repeatedly in heaven. It's beautiful. God doesn't mince words here. That in eternity... We're singing praises to the one who not only created us and knew the number of hairs on your head, but actually came down and died for you. For all of us, not some of us, for all of us that are in this room. And we sing this song together, that we worship together. All of us are valuable. All of us. God had this on his mind from the beginning. If you hear nothing else I say, hear that. From the beginning. And even in the end. You see it. So when you do hear somebody say it's a color that they're colorblind, honestly, it's it's repulsive to God. Because essentially you're saying in that moment that God made mistakes. That's essentially what that is. God, you made a mistake. We, we don't need to see color. That, that, that color is a, is a mistake. It's, it's a mess up. It's an error. And that's not true. Not only do we see that, which is interesting. So you see the beginning. I show you the beginning. I show you the end. But then even in the middle. It's cool because the Old Testament narratives pointed to this. Jesus spoke about it. And then Paul picked it back up again. This whole idea that, man, we all matter. And so, you know, we, we're imitators of Christ, right? Y'all can say, man, that's cool. It's call and response time. That's cool. I get it. Um, yes, pastor, that's great. Um, amen, lights and walls. Um, here's what your, your savior, here's what your king said. Luke chapter 2, verse 31 through 32. That you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. All, notice that, all people. Hang on to that. Everybody loves this, this one. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's this idea of all there. 
And then we see here in uh, this particular passage that I know y'all none heard because they done told you that y'all all missionaries on your college campus, right? And then they tell y'all about the Great Commission, right? It's not a great suggestion, but it's a great commission. It's like, you've got to do this. This ain't like you get a chance to say, oh, you know, I don't feel good today. Or, I ain't got that gift. No, the Lord's commanded you to do this. And you see it in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when he says that Jesus came to them and said, all authority is given uh, on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then finally, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when it has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. And it says, to Jerusalem, uh, and all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I had you made, make a note of all. Because in the Greek, it's interesting how this is translated. It's translated all. <laughs> it ain't deep. I know you was waiting for something deep. I know. All. But the idea behind it, again, don't lose it. He said all nations. This is what Jesus is saying. He's, man, he was saying essentially, man, the gospel just wasn't for, it just wasn't for a sliver of people. It was for everyone to hear and have an opportunity to respond. Now, what you do with the message is up to you. But the, the, the gospel itself was for everyone to hear it and make a decision. Because you never know what the Lord may do with anybody. Ask Jonah. He only wanted it to be about one group of people. And when God told him that I need you to go to the very people that are oppressing you, he said, I, I can't do that. And God told him, I need you to. And he ran. And God had this amazing way to chase him and not only chase him, but make him go the very place that he should go. Which parenthetically, if God's calling you to do anything, you might as well go with the flow and not go against it because... You'll get there in spite of you. <laughs> but what he's getting at is that, man, you can't alienate these people. No matter what side of the tracks they are on. Because they're made in my image. All people. This gospel message that we, that we understand and we love is for all people. But it's interesting. You look in the Old Testament. You read through the book of Leviticus if you ever can get through it. I get it. You do Bible reading plans. I know half of y'all New Year's resolution is going to be, I'm going to read through the Bible. <laughs> and you're going to get the Leviticus. <laughs> Slow walk. So you saying, Lord, I'm just not worthy. I guess I'm really not saved. I get it. It's hard to get through. Because it's laws and man, cubits, and you don't even measure like that. So you got to go into like the concord. Like, what is a cubit? I get it. Beat gold and this and ephods and you know. I get it. But it's interesting why God put it there. One, He's showing you that to be holy, it requires some work. That's one. Two, it shows you the extent that God will go to make sure that he will get glory. Two. But then three, in order for you to be set apart, 
he set these Israelites apart to be uh, this, this walking testimony so that as they are set apart from all of the people that will be quote-unquote pagan, it will make them ask this question, who is the God that they serve? Who, who is this God that they serve? And it gave them an opportunity, although they were hard-headed and didn't really get it, but it was an opportunity for them to be able to put on the manifold wisdom of God, but not only that, to allow people to see a God that's so transcendent over every other thing that they have an opportunity to be brought near. That's what Leviticus is really part of what it's there for. So Old Testament shows you this. Jesus shows you this. But then, you know, our favorite, Paul, he, he shares something with us. Many of us have heard of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, especially 1 through 10. Where you were dead in your sins and trespasses, right? And then you get to verse 4, and if you're in a black church, they'll say, but. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that organ, they get the plane. <laughs> has to get the feeling a little warm in their soul when they get the jumping. <laughs> but it's telling us about, here now, verses 1 through 10 tell us about our vertical reconciliation to God. You were, you, may God essentially, through Christ, man, you were reconciled back to the Father. We are shot on that all day. And I know how our white brothers are and sisters who say, hmm, and write feverishly in your notebook. <laughs> we shout. We shout on 1 through 10. But we completely neglect 11 through 22. We completely, we just forget all about this part. Here's why this is important. I know y'all in the back can't see this, but it says, therefore. <laughs> you always, when you see that in scripture, you got to ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? <laughs> I'm just talking, man, this is high level hermeneutics for y'all. Hermeneutics, fancy word for how to study your Bible. Whenever you see the therefore, ask, what is the therefore, therefore? The therefore is there because of what has happened on the cross. Because of what Jesus Christ has done in dying the death that you could never die, to pay the price that you could never pay even on your best day. Because of grace through faith, not by works so that no man may boast, because of what has happened, this is why, this is the new reality for you. Essentially it says the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile is broken. Which means that man, because of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, racism has no place in the kingdom anymore. Ethnocentrism has no place in the kingdom anymore. That everyone's welcome to the table. That in it we become this new man, kainos. There's two types of new. You have new like an adaptation of something that's already created. Think the iPhone. Every six months they create an iPhone. We don't like iPhone 37, S and R and Z and A. You know how they're gonna keep doing it to get your money. It's new, but it's a tweaked version of something that's already created. That's one type of new. 
But then Paul uses a word called kainos. Everybody say kainos. Y'all Greek real good. Kainos is new that's revolutionary. That it, this kind of new, it never was here before. So before, we used to, we used to move with horses and buggies. But then the Model T came on the, on, the, on the scene. The Model T was a kinetic creation. It completely revolutionized how we traveled because it was something that had never been created. And what Paul is getting at in these verses, he's saying because of what Jesus Christ has done, there's a new man that's created plural, where all of us can come together, those who have put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, and we're made one new man. There's this brand spanking new picture that we get to paint when we're in Christ, and the church is really the church. There's this brand spanking new picture that when people see the church at its best, they should really see God flexing his godness in that moment. That's what he's getting at. But it takes all of us to see it. Not just some of us. So I just want to encourage you. Here, here's some minorities in scripture that, man, without them, the meta narrative kind of shifts a little bit. And when I say a little bit, none of us will be sitting in this room. Again, you got to put on, you got to put on your, your, your glasses. And this is I'll share at the end why it's important for minorities to speak into and to embrace who they are to be able to help the narrative. I looked for portraits of what these people would have looked like and all of them were white. But we got an issue. If you go to Ethiopia or you go to Egypt or you go to Syria right now, you're going to be hard pressed to find a European person that's native. Your savior was a Palestinian olive-skinned Jew who passed for a black guy because we know that in Matthew chapter 2 after the edict is given that God tells Mary and Joseph to go to Egypt and hide. And the text tells us that Herod couldn't, he didn't, he didn't find him. That's your savior. Here's the Zipporah. You, you probably have seen her name in Exodus. You do know that she has a very crucial role uh, that literally saved Moses' life, a black woman. Read this passage in Exodus chapter 4, verse 24 through 26 when you, got, when you hear it in your, in, your, in your quiet time. Essentially, it says that Moses disobeyed God because he was supposed to get all of his kids circumcised. But Zipporah's kids, he didn't get circumcised. Now, maybe there was a conversation. She probably was like, you're not putting no knife to my child. You know, you know what? <laughs> if you do it, uh, we're going to have issues. No matter what, he should have listened to God. But it says he didn't. And there's this really obscure passage where it says that uh, God was about to smash this man. Literally, that's what it translates. I mean, it translates to something like that. But you can smash it. And it says that Zipporah ran over with the, uh, it's graphic, the foreskins of these children and threw them at Moses' feet. Like, see, you messing up. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the beautiful blessing in it. 
it says that, man, because she did that, God relented his wrath on Moses. If Moses isn't in your scriptures, the exodus never takes place. If the exodus never takes place, there's no Canaan. If there's no Canaan, there are no free people. You don't get David. You don't get any of that. You don't get the lineage of David. And if you don't get that, Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and John, they don't exist. Jesus can't come down. She played a crucial role in the, in the meta-narrative of Scripture. A black woman. Rahab, many of us have heard her. This is Candy. Right? She, she, she would have been a Gentile. If you don't know anything about candy, then you just got to ask one of, your, one of your chocolate friends that's next to you. <laughs> but you know the story. In Joshua chapter 2, it says that, man, she, she gets a knock on the door. It's some Israelites saying, hey, look, hey, we know you, uh, we know you do some stuff that's questionable, but, man, we need you to really, uh, we need you to hide us out. And she did it. It says that, man, because she did that and a scarlet thread was held, you know, in her window, man, somehow the walls came crumbling down, but her house was in the wall. And we don't know how this works. Maybe her house was the only thing still standing. But because she did that, the Israelites were able to defeat uh, Jericho. And because of that, a, a, a cascading effect happened. Person of color. Ruth, the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus, your savior was a Moabitess, would have been, uh, this is a great depiction of what she probably would have looked like. Simon of Cyrene, interesting. Uh, Jesus is carrying his cross, but it's heavy. In all of the Gospels, it says that, well, all of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and Mark, they all say that, man, they grabbed this guy named Simon of Cyrene and told him to carry the cross. Cyrene is a, a country in Africa. Black guy. Carried your Savior's cross. This is encouraging to know that we're all here. Ethiopian eunuch, you've probably heard this. In Acts chapter 8, man, this guy was on a chariot and all of a sudden another dude just ran up next to it. I don't know how this happened. Jumped on and shared his faith. And they would say that this guy would be one of the first missionaries to Africa. Ethiopian unit. But then you got Paul, man. Paul had all of these missionary journeys. Again, man, you knew he was traveling all over the place, right? And you hear this word Asia all the time. You do know that when you when you superimpose the the, the, the map of now, that's Iran and Turkey and all of these places. He was going to minority areas way before he even got the Romans. To write the book of Romans and went to Rome. He was in the Middle East. <laughs> it's crazy. This is what your scriptures say. But let's look in church history and I got to run. So you got guys like, and this is interesting because these are actually people that you probably heard of. So Augustine, Origen, and Tertullian, these are what these guys would look like. They're from North Africa. They were black men. These guys thought and thought through some of the intricate details of what it is that you believe. This guy's name is Athanasius. Everybody say Athanasius. His name because he was a short black guy. But you know how you believe in the deity of Christ or literally that Jesus is God? This guy was the one who argued on it. He's the one who defeated a guy named Arius. And you've probably heard of the Nicene Creed. If it wasn't for the black dwarf, 
that deity of Christ that you believe that Jesus is fully God never happens. This is the guy who argued for it, the black dwarf. Um, you got pictures of like Simon of uh, Cyprian of Carthage. You got African monks. Uh, you know, we think about, you know, monks and all of these things. We think East Asia that started in Africa. And this is what they would look like today. It's interesting because there are, uh, according to Thomas Oden, man, he says this quote, and I love it. Didymus the blind, the great desert mother Sarah, or the tall brothers of Wada Naturum. Folks you have never heard of before, but were crucial in the foundation of the Christian faith. Helped shape the foundations of our faith. Shenouda the Great, Anthony the Great, Pomachinus, the Desert Fathers, Martin Luther, the one who nailed the treaties on that floor, on that wall. Right before he did that, he had a meeting with some of the Ethiopian deacons that radically shaped what he ended up nailing on that wall. This is encouraging to know that all throughout history, man, God was using all types of people, women, men, people from all over the areas. It's crazy because you think about it, man, even in the third and fourth centuries, man, you were hearing about Fox's Book of Martyrs and how people were being crucified for their faith. But over in the Persian Empire, man, these Christians were living lavish. They were in higher up in government. They were writing uh, different theological works, and they were actually writing in a language called Syriac, and it was pushing all the way to what we now know as Asia. It wasn't until the fourth century that they got persecuted because Constantine said that he wanted uh, this Christian uh, religion to become the state religion. So the Persian Empire said, we can't have these people who are um, affiliated with our, 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 our uh, enemy's Christian culture, so he persecuted them. And then you get crusades and all of this. Christianity was in Africa way before even Islam was even thought of. This wasn't just given to us when we were slaves. The foundation of the very thing that you call Christianity, literally, man, had its start in Africa. The first seminary that was ever made was the catechal school in Alexandria. Alexandria is in Africa. They learned languages. They learned Christian dogma and theology. And they also learned medicine. First one that was here. I'll run through this. It says, Thomas Owen says, Africa played a decisive role in the formation of Christian culture. Cut out Africa, cut Africa out of the Bible and Christian memory, and you have misplaced many pivotal scenes of salvation history. It is the story of the children of Abraham in Africa, Joseph in Africa, Moses is in Africa, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus in Africa, and shortly thereafter, Mark and Perpetua and Athanasius and Augustine in Africa, i.e., this ain't just one language. This ain't just one group of people. But then what does it look like for us in, in, in this time? And I'll fly through this. The AME church is one of what we would say the birth of the black, quote unquote, black church. Uh, but these two dudes are revolutionary. Absalom Jones and Richard Allen were two dudes who were in the Methodist church. One day they're praying and some white guys tell them that they can't pray there. So they get up and they leave and they start the AME church. And it's interesting that you should know this because Rosa Parks would have started going to an AME church. And I just got a sneaky suspicion that the, the AME church is good about telling history. And she would have heard about Absalom Jones and Richard Allen. These two dudes who stood for their faith and stood against injustice and went out and did something radical. And I just got to believe that at some day she heard that. 
And I, I, I truly believe that at some point she probably remembered that and sat on the bus where she shouldn't have sat and didn't move. In the Presbyterian Church, it's good for you to understand this because campus outreach is birthed in the Presbyterian Church. These two dudes are extremely vital for you. Francis Grimke and Henry Highland, two African-American men who uh, loved Jesus, didn't believe the uh, Presbyterian church, but they ended up going on to seminaries and pastor churches that were predominantly white. They were some of the first people in the Presbyterian denomination to push the ball forward to say, man, we need to address some of these things that are happening in society. Gustavus Gutierrez and James Cone, you might have heard of liberation theology, and it's interesting that many people would say, man, dang, this is so negative and it's so anti-gospel. But you've got to understand why they wrote this. Gutierrez is really the father of liberation theology, but you've got to understand why he wrote it. When he was in, uh, in, in, in Latin America, he was watching people be oppressed by people who said that they were Christians. And so he scoured the scriptures and said, man, there has to be something that's against this, because if we are children of Jesus Christ, that man, if we have put our faith, hope and trust in Jesus Christ, how can we oppress another people? And so he went to the Old Testament scriptures and saw that, man, you know, man, man, God was always, man, he had a, he had a bend for those who were oppressed. Now, was it all the way true what he was saying? I think a lot of it is true, but I don't agree with everything. But I'm thankful for his perspective because James Cone picked up the pen and said, man, there are black people just treated the same way. And all they were trying to do is lend itself to say, hey, there's another perspective that we have to understand. Some people only see Christus Victor and they only see it from a place where man, man God never really was oppressed. When there are people who are oppressed who see the scriptures from a different perspective. They add it to Christianity. And then you've got the role of the black church. I love this quote. The black church is the NAACP on its knees. It's true. If you look all throughout the civil rights movement, man, home base was always the church. And so you got men like Howard Thurman, Tom Skinner, and of course, Dr. King, my frat brother. It is all of these men. Who, who stood not only out in the streets, but they were in pulpits on Sunday. And these men, as you know, we're all sitting in here today because of their contributions to the Christian faith. <coughs> and here's the crazy thing, and I'll, I'll kind of land the plane here. Philip Jenkins made it clear that this is the profile of a Christian today. It's a Nigerian woman. The seat of Christianity has moved from America to Sub-Saharan Africa and Asia. There are more Christians in those two areas uh, than, man, dare I say, man, most places today. This is the profile of what a Christian would be if we took Christianity just out of the U.S. and made it global. And so we, we, we have to come to these realizations. we got to understand uh, at the end of the day, here's a, a quote that I won't read, but it, it essentially says, man, Christianity has moved. By 2025, there will be more minority babies born than, in, than majority culture babies. By 2050, all of the minorities will then be the majority. What does this mean? We have to, as the church, be equipped to be able to step into this new reality. So what does this look like? This is, this is, these are the implications. In the areas of justice, uh, we need our minority brothers and sisters to continue to speak truth to power and power to the people. And for my white brothers and sisters, 
even more now, we need you to stand alongside. One of the beautiful things that took place in the civil rights movement that it wasn't just black people. It was all types of people. Your freedom writers and some of those people were white people. There were white pastors. There's a pastor today who's in Chicago right now, a white guy, who fought alongside of Dr. King. That's what made the civil rights movement so powerful, that there was this mosaic picture that was being pushed. And so we have to step into areas of justice. God has given us softballs in this area. And I do believe that our minority brothers and sisters, man, we got to lead the charge in it. And the humility it takes for our, our white brothers and sisters to say, man, I'm going to submit to that. We need it. And then in the culture and the arts, I just told you, it's, I spent hours trying to find pictures of these church uh, individuals, these heroes of the faith and all of this. And it was tough and it was discouraging. And so we need, man, we need our minority brothers and sisters. Fan the flame to say, hey, man, we need your voice. We need your insight. We need Christian hearts to, to come and to, man, erase the white Jesus picture. It has done more harm than good. Put it on, just put it on the back burner for, for 150,000 years. And then we can think about bringing it back. But we need <laughs> portraits so that you can see this. Like Athanasius and all this, we need Christian writers. We need people, man, minorities to give lens to these things, to go back and write these and research these different things. We need people to be speaking into uh, all of these things to give us a holistic picture of the history. We need guys and women to go back and study, man, different things and people like Gardner C. Taylor and E.V. Hill and Bishop College and United Theological Seminary, Most Black Seminary Origins, Eastern Christianity, Coptic Christianity, and its influences on there. We need, the, we need more minorities to go back into, man, Turkish and uh, Persian uh, places and to research and provide the narratives that we're missing. Half of you today are blown away that you didn't know that all of these people of color are in the story of Christianity. So we need our minority brothers and sisters to be uniquely them, to be in love with that and to go back and be encouraged and empowered to know, man, you are just a part of this story just like everybody else. And so I leave you with this. You all been blessed by Darnell. Um, you've heard his, you've heard him render his gifts, and I'm man. He's my boy, um, and he's been uniquely himself. But at the same time, man, he's been able to navigate um, in a culture that, although it is diverse, it is uh, majority led. And so I wanted him to end our time by sharing just, man, how he's been uniquely himself. And I think that there are some things that we can learn from him. And then I'll come back and then I'll end our time. Is that my time? All right. I know I was getting paid for this. Thank you. How's everybody doing? That was a lot to just process, and uh, it was just so good to hear. My mind is here, there, and everywhere right now, but I want to read a scripture because I'm Pentecostal, and you know, my grandmama watching me from heaven. This is Romans 12, and beginning at verse 4. It says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. 
having different gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Really quickly, I want to speak to my minority brothers and sisters that are in um, diverse congregations, especially those, since I'm a worship leader, that lead worship. I employ you by the Spirit of God to be yourself. This brother just explained so powerfully how the way the Lord showed it to me was just imagine a, a tool belt. And this tool belt has all these different tools. And, and this spiritual tool belt is building the kingdom of God. So the Lord gave me certain abilities that slide into the slots of that tool belt. But, and let's just say I'm a hammer, right? And we have screwdrivers and we have all these different things. But then I get in a situation where a hammer is needed, but I want to be a screwdriver. And it's like, for whatever reason, I just, I just, I don't like being a hammer. Hammers hit things, and you know, I don't, I just, something is missing, and something is broken, and something won't be built, because I don't want to be who God created me to be. And I know it can be hard, it can be, anytime, anytime you, you're in a situation where you look around and you don't see persons that look like you, it's kind of hard. It, the easy thing to do is to conform to your surroundings, because we're human. But I want to encourage you to fight for the differences and the difference that God has placed in you. As a worship leader, I'm a worship leader at a multi-ethnic church. And uh, I was raised Pentecostal. I don't know if y'all know what that means, but that's like speaking in tongues and shouting and all that, huh? <laughs> and I just want to tell y'all, I've been, I've been doing good at this conference. What? <laughs> I ain't laying hands on nobody. <laughs> it ain't over yet, though. Be careful. <laughs> if you sit up front, I don't know. I don't know the Lord might. Yeah, but, but you know, the thing that worked for me, the thing that worked for me, and I'll say this to anyone, when you go inside of a church, wherever that is, whatever the culture is, if it's multi-ethnic or whatever, but especially when we're, because we're talking about uh, multicultural, multi-ethnic churches, the thing that worked for me, go into the church with an open mind, lay it down, just lay it down, lay down your weight, just lay it down, don't forget about it, just lay it down, and learn. I went and I learned all the hymns that they were singing, all 19 verses, <laughs> That's why I don't use lyrics, because I learned it. I learned it. I learned it. I embraced it. And then, pick me back up and put them together, and now you have something amazing, right? You know? But what we normally do is we lay ourselves down, and then we come over here, and then we become something apart from the way God made us. And that's not the will of God. We should all be learning. We should all be growing. But don't forget who you are. Don't forget how God made you. 
There's rhythms that's in me that I can't do nothing with. You know what I'm saying? It's just in me. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna forget that or lay that down or just like, well, you know, I'm just not gonna, I don't know if that's accept. No. If you want me, you're gonna get all of me. Now, I learned how, you know, to go in different places and, and how to conduct myself based upon the, the audience because worship, co corporate worship is about helping the congregation meet God. So it ain't even about me in, the, in, that, in that moment. But never forget who you are. I want to share this real quick. I saw this video. It just blew my mind on uh, YouTube. And it was a video of someone who had a banana and a kiwi, right? And they cut the banana in half, and they cut the kiwi in half, and they put it inside of a flower pot. They put the kiwi inside the flower pot, and they took the banana and squished it on top of the kiwi, and then they covered the whole thing with dirt. And then, like, the video sped up, and you know, they're doing all this stuff, and then all of a sudden you see this banana grow out of the dirt. I'm like, that's cool, right? <laughs> then they cut it, and on the inside, it was green. I was like, that's not cool. <laughs> uh, but, but what had happened was the banana and the kiwi, some kind of way, formed something else. And it all happened in the dirt. <laughs> and what's happening is multi-ethnic, multicultural ministry on any level is dirty. Nobody wants to get in the dirt. Well, you have one side that's in the dirt and the other one is like, oh, this is kind of dirty now. I don't know if I want to get in. And we all have to get in the dirt because God is trying to make something else. Something else. So that, so that when we hear the music and the songs, it's like, is that, is that heels? Is that, what? Is that gospel? What, what is that? I don't even, I don't know. Who is that? I don't know what that is. Because we got in the dirt and we did the hard work and God used us to create something beautiful. We're going to have, we were about to have church answers. <laughs> <laughs> but that's cool. Um, I just want to end on this because I know we're, we're past time and I know, uh, and I do apologize. Um, there, there's a mess up on the app. It's going to send you to brandon.order at campusoutreach.org. That is not my email address. I don't know whose email address that is. <laughs> but it won't come to me. Um, but uh, you can you can stay up to date. There's so much more that I wanted to share with you guys. But again, it's, it's an hour. And, and we could talk for days about all of the different things. But my goal um, in it was to just begin to open man, your eyes to something, to a reality that, man, Man, God is simply amazing. And for our minority brothers and sisters, that man, you don't got to check your ethnicity at the door. In fact, God has used so many people that look like you uh, to help further. And then for my, my white brothers and sisters, man, it's deeply encouraging because you can go back and say, man, I got, I got some tools in my, in my belt that, man, I can just, I can go and share to be able to encourage and uplift and even for you to strengthen your faith, to see that, man, this... This thing called Christianity that you believe in, that you are so sold out on, man, it really is this beautiful mosaic of what God uh, is up to. And then at the end of the day, if you don't know Jesus, this is what's so amazing. God did all of this intentionally and on purpose. That, yeah, this Palestinian Jew who 
put on human flesh. And as the great Gardner Taylor said, became time trapped, pain eligible, and death capable for you. So that you can be a part of this amazing story that God is writing. That you can use your gifts and your talents, and you don't have to hide them under, under, a, under a, a, a mat and say, man, I, I can't use these because it won't be accepted. No, God needs you to use it. The church will be at its best when all of us use our gifts and our talents the way God has made us and the way they should be used to the best of their abilities in the same direction. If we do that, man, the church will literally be unstoppable. That's why you have the book of Acts, to show you what it's like when the church gets it right. And we have the opportunity to do that. If we all did that, man, just think about this. On Monday, world hunger could be erased. On Tuesday, man, people all over the world could hear the gospel. On Wednesday, man, every person, every person could have an opportunity to read the scriptures because they would be translated in their native language. On Thursday, uh, we would be uh, looking at, man, opportunities to solve poverty in the world. By Friday, Jesus could be coming back. I'm crazy enough to believe that. But it will only happen when all of us are using our gifts. All of us feel empowered to say we can take a step and be uniquely ourselves. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.